0: Hey there, it's Michelle. I've hand-selected some of my favorite interviews to rerun for you this summer. I hope you enjoy the episodes. Let's get into the show. 70% of the immune system's in the gut? Is in the gut.
1: So, food is critically important to how we function and to more than just our waistlines, which is where, you know, when we talk about food in doctor's offices, it's usually a family history of type 2 diabetes or hypertension yes. or weight gain. But we're not really talking about the connection to mental health. So, I really appreciate the research that continues to bring forward the gut brain connection and the work that we're doing because it's really explaining how the connection between the gut and brain also then can explain the connection between food and mental well-being.
0: Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am so excited to introduce today's guest. I absolutely loved her book, This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, PTSD, Anxiety, OCD, ADHD, and more. And her name is Dr. Uma Naidu. And um, she is a Harvard psychiatrist who has devoted her career to the science of food and mental health. As the bestselling author of this book, she shows the cutting edge science explaining the ways in which food contributes to our mental health and how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a range of psychological and cognitive health issues including the list that I just mentioned from the book. But what's also interesting about Dr. Naidu is that um, she's a nutrition specialist and a professionally trained chef, which I found so interesting and culinary arts teacher. Um, she's founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States, is the director of nutritional and lifestyle psychiatry at Mass General Hospital, also known as MGH, and director of nutritional psychiatry at MGH Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Michelle, and thanks for having me.
0: Uh, It's such a pleasure. Um, I will just note that this is a podcast for informational educational purposes and in no way intended to serve as medical advice. You should always consult with your trusted healthcare provider. Um, But um, the work you're doing is Amazing. You're a pioneer in this space of nutritional psychiatry. And I think for many of us, um, I've kind of heard about this a little bit, but I think it may be a newer concept. I'd love to just start with a foundational sort of understanding of what nutritional psychiatry is.
1: That's a great place to start. So thank you for the question. You know, nutritional psychiatry is the use of healthy whole foods and nutrients based on the current scientific and evolving evidence. But really, this is to improve your mental well-being. You don't necessarily have had to have a diagnosis from a doctor. Um, It might just be that you're not feeling great, feeling a little blue. Uh, Certainly, at this time of year, the um, seasonal affective disorder in some parts of the country is more rampant. Um, anxiety during pandemic times has been very high. So it may not be that you have a a specific diagnosis, but it's really meant to guide you to use foods to improve your mental well-being based on the science.
0: Okay. Thank you for that. And I'm just curious with your background. So you obviously have your degree from Harvard in psychiatry, but then to have added on the nutrition specialist, and then also to become a professionally trained chef. That's not the normal path when you go see your psychiatrist. So can you just explain, was that a conscious choice to integrate all of that knowledge or did something happen either personally or with a client that made you start integrating the nutritional aspects into your practice?
1: You know the the interest in nutrition, healthy eating, and the scientific data, uh, but also Ayurveda, really came from my childhood because my mum. Was at medical school when i was uh, little and so i would spend the daytime with my grandparents who naturally taught me yoga and meditation as just part of hanging out with them um, i would help my grandmother prepare meals mostly i would hang around and watch her and help her pick fresh veggies because i was very small but i'd watch her prepare these healthy meals and then i would sit down with my grandparents and eat lunch you know so it was almost these natural habits that got built in um but also my mum's siblings there were good uh good number of physicians so a lot of science and then a couple of cousins and aunts who were in the diabetic practice so I also understood more about spices and why my grandmother was using turmeric in her food with a pinch of pepper or whatever it might have been in any event um that led me to feel food was a part of life. Um, and when I began prescribing medications in psychiatry, an experience early on really made me feel that I was, I was missing this, uh, this experience of, well, how come we're not asking people about what they're eating? We're prescribing medications, which we know can have devastating side effects like weight gain, uh, glucose intolerance, and things like that. Why aren't we asking these questions? And a patient early on really uh, taught me the importance of understanding and interpreting nutrition because he kind of came in upset with me. I'd only two weeks before prescribed an SSRI medication for a mood disorder. And he felt I'd caused him to gain weight because he read the package inset, but from the date I knew and looking at his baseline weight, that it was not the medication, it was not me. But you also came in drinking. You're from Boston, so he he was drinking his very large cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty much sugar with a little coffee.
1: Yeah, exactly. right. And I said, "People, you know, we'll call him both for the purpose of this conversation." I said, "What did you put in your coffee today?" And remember, I was a timid, very new resident and still learning. But I also did notice something, and I, I uh i guess i responded and he said oh you you know he told me what it was but we calculated that it was more than a quarter cup of processed creamer and eight teaspoons of sugar and just and not much of a calorie counter but when i explained to him the empty calories he was consuming daily sometimes he, he drank a couple of those a day yes he understood immediately his eyes lit up it was like a light bulb went off because he saw Um, that he could make a change. He understood the the information made sense to him. And and that was really my aha moment because seeing that he could make a change on his own was so empowering. He felt that he understood something. It was valuable information to him. And it was a simple thing, a cup of coffee. That really led me to pursue wanting to understand more about nutrition because we don't learn enough in medical school. Some medical schools maybe do better than others, but for the most part, doctors are not learning nutrition and it became a valuable tool in my psychiatric practice. But culinary school was really an ode to Julia Child. She was my food hero. And when I realized, Michelle, that she actually is known for her culinary career, but that was her second career, um, I thought, well, I love to cook. You know, my cooking journey is fun. I'd love to learn more, really to follow passion. And that's what took me to culinary school. But it naturally, Without planning it out that way, naturally, just fitted in with everything else I was doing uh, in my clinical practice, and it came together very nicely. When under great mentorship, you know, I was allowed. Uh, I was really encouraged, I should say, to start this clinic in uh, nutritional psychiatry. So I'm
0: curious, Doctor Naidu, you said it was encouraged. So were people receptive within your field? Did they understand? That, of course, there's a place for the prescription medications and everything, but that this nutritional piece was that important. There was an actual recognition and support of that, or did you have to kind of teach
1: them the value? So there, there are two parts to this answer. Um, with all new ideas and nascent fields like nutritional psychiatry is I think you need a core of support and I was very fortunate to get that core of support from the leadership in my hospital and mentors who felt that I was doing something that was seemed to be interesting and helpful helpful and useful to individuals and why not have a small clinic it's a small almost a tertiary care concierge type service, meaning people get referred specifically for this, but it was a place to start. And I had remember I'd been doing all of this for a while just in my regular clinic. Yes. So I think that one component is that people believe in you enough to say, yes, I think you should go ahead and do this. This is, this is important work. Mm. Um, and also, you know, the, the very big researchers at the hospital where I work, um, and I think that they saw the value in this. The second part of that is that uh, nutritional psychiatry is nascent within the mental health field. So I cannot say that psychiatrists are asking this. They definitely having some of them are having conversations with me. There's a lot of interest from lifestyle medicine doctors and functional medicine doctors. But in large part, I wouldn't say psychiatrists are practicing this way. So I think that part of my journey in bringing this forward is to um, not necessarily because my belief is, is not that we need to exclude medications or forms of therapy, which have yes. been life-saving for many of my patients, but really integrate it. You know, it's an integrated, holistic, and functional approach to psychiatry. You always look for a cause. You know, you you look at holistic ways that someone can feel better. An example of this is if someone is anxious, you know, it's not about the pull only. It's not about the CBT or the other forms of therapy. It's also learning mindfulness learning breathing techniques, learning, learning relaxation methods, which can help you calm down. And that's really what the holistic model looks at. Yes. Um, so, you know, I I feel like it will be a slow and steady journey, but I'm hoping that more people will come on this journey with me uh, in the psychiatry field. I'm getting a lot of interest from other medical fields and from health coaches and nutritionists and you know, name it, people are very interested in that only is because I have a presence on social media and, um, people reach out really wanting to, to learn more. So I actually took it upon myself to design, develop and create a course, um, which, which we're offering and it allows people a deeper dive into the subject matter.
0: Yes. And thank you for doing that. I saw that on your website, which we'll link in the show notes after in case anyone wants to, um, explore that further. Um, It it seems that you've you've made a connection. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the microbiome in the last few years and people are kind of on their radar now and this connection Mm -hmm. between gut and brain health. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more in maybe very layman's terms of give us an understanding of how the brain and the gut are connected and talking to each other and influencing mental health or physical health, depending on you know, the, how, yeah, which is impacted. Yes.
1: Um, this, is, uh, this is a great question because it really is, is what my uh, book is based on. The chapter one is the gut-brain romance. So it turns out that the gut and brain are organs that are far apart in the body. You wouldn't ordinarily think they were connected, but they, they arise from the exact same cells of the human embryo and these cells divide up and form the organs. And these organs, as the embryo develops, move far apart in the body. Then they remain connected anatomically, biochemically, physiologically by a nerve called the 10th cranial nerve, otherwise known as the vagus nerve. The Vagus nerve connects the brain to the gut and the gut to the brain because it allows for two-way chemical messaging between these organ systems. Other things to understand about this connection are that we often talk about serotonin, the happiness hormone. Um, it's you know what selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors is based on SSRIs like Prozac or Zoloft but 90 to 95% of the serotonin is made in the gut and the receptors are also there so if you know anyone has ever been prescribed Prozac or Zoloft or the SSRI medications if they've developed gastrointestinal side effects mm. that is why um, wow. and then in, another important thing to understand is that of the immune system is the gut. So this is a very important area uh, in mental health because this connection is really helping the gut-brain connection, the gut-brain ecosystem is really starting to unfold the food-mood connection that, you know, what we eat then does impact what we feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, and what I read in your book, it just all makes so much sense when you, and especially the way you have a beautiful way of, uh illustrating it all through the the way you describe the things in the book and I appreciate okay. that and it's interesting you do mention hippocrates you say um, <laughs> hippocrates the father of medicine recognized the connection warning us that bad bad digestion is the root of all evil and that death sits in the bowels, <laughs> the bowels so there's some yeah. ancient some ancient <laughs> wisdom here that you're bringing back to to modern day <laughs> understanding of and you just said 70% of the immune systems in the gut
1: is in the gut yeah so, so food is critically important, you know, to to how we function and to more than just our waistlines, which is where you know when we talk about food in doctors' offices, it's usually a family history of type two diabetes or hypertension yes. or weight gain, but we're not really talking about the connection to mental health. So, I I really appreciate the research that continues to continues to bring forward. The gut brain connection and the work that we're doing, because it's really explaining um, how the connection between the gut and brain also then can explain the connection between food and mental well being.
0: Absolutely. Uh, It is really just so interesting. I'd love your perspective. So, can we just unpack a couple of statistics that you mentioned in the book? You write that 46% of us will meet the criteria for a diagnosable mental health condition sometime in our lifetime. That's almost half. That's yes. a large number. And that more than 40 million Americans are dealing with mental health issues. I just love your perspective on this, you know, your lens right. of like, is this that we just have more awareness of mental health or that there's truly something troublesome happening here or a combination? I'm just curious.
1: So there are two parts of that as well. The first part is that my book was written uh, before COVID happened. Mm. It was actually released just as COVID emerged. So um, that data is from pre-COVID, yeah. um, which actually is not that long ago, but it, right. feels, it feels like eons. Yes. So in relation to that, I feel like mental health has always been the silent pandemic, Um, the silent health crisis that we we don't really pay attention to because mental health is so stigmatizing for people and and people feel often ashamed to seek help. With COVID, we do know that there is a higher rate of mental illness, Uh, not only in individuals who've survived COVID and, say, have long-hauler syndrome or other complications, but in addition to that, uh, we know that um, data is showing us that there's a higher rate of things like depression, anxiety. We know that substance abuse has gone up. We know that uh, suicidal ideation and suicidality in teens is high. Um, And we know that much of that has just increased. So from that, those high numbers, it's even more now. And I think, if anything, COVID uncovered that mental health crisis, Mm. Um, not only because of the interaction between mental health and metabolic health, some of the underlying causes of conditions like depression, anxiety, cognitive health are thought to be inflammation. One of the biggest drivers of inflammation is food and comorbid uh, uh, conditions that led to people succumbing to COVID or having worse side effects or worse recovery with things like obesity, um, other other diseases that individuals had. Mm. And and research has shown that about 88% of Americans are not in the best metabolic health. So all of this places us at huge risk and also is interacting with mental health.
0: Wow. So in a way, as sad as it is that the numbers have risen, COVID did sh- shed a spotlight on just how much mental health exists in this country
1: or around the world, right? Around, a- globally, globally, globally. And certainly, certainly in the U.S. showed us that many more people were suffering than were coming forward or, or maybe had access to care yes. um, or maybe were, were willing to seek care. Yes. And this is where I feel it's an opportunity um, to, you know, to eat differently to improve our mental well being, because we know our metabolic health is not ideal. We know that the standard American diet is is called a sad diet for a good reason, mm-hmm. and we know that many of us uh, are consuming uh, uh, different different components or different portions of that. And I think the, the better we can work towards, um, in sort of a nutrition cleanup plan a little bit that would help everyone yes, and I absolutely
0: loved your book and do really believe everyone needs to go get this because it's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, you can just look up the chapter of anxiety or depression, which I think so many people, even if they hadn't felt it, maybe felt it I, I know I, you know last yes. March I just felt like my brain shut off. I literally just yes. really yes. just didn't feel myself and I was like what's what's happening and it's interesting that you know what's in our kitchen can directly impact how, we're, how you know, and help with some of these symptoms. But can you actually expo- explain, like, how is it that what we're eating is impacting this b- gut-brain connection?
1: Right. So the way to unpack it in a, in a super simple way and think about it, there's obviously much more detail around this, but
0: you think yes. about a meal uh,
1: on any given day. Yes. Think about a day that you have a healthy meal, one that you feel uplifted by, you're happy with your choice. Well, the breakdown products of digestion from those food products interact with the gut microbes. Gut microbes, there are 39 odd trillion microbes that reside in the gut. And this is a newer discovery in medicine over the last decade and a half to two decades. And these microbes, 39 odd trillion, are mostly bacteria, but they're five different types that live there. They're also, like with most things in life, there are the good microbes and the bad microbes. <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> so, you know, on a day that you're making a better choice, the uh, microbes break, break down the food products, are helping with digestion, and the, and the breakdown products are healthy ones. One example is short chain fatty acids, which are uh, uh, great for our body and great for our brain. Okay. On a day that, you know, you are eating in the fast food restaurant or you just kind of have gone that way during covid because it's been so hard and it's a less healthy meal well bad microbes then they flourish um and they the breakdown products they produce from the digestion of those not so healthy foods are more damaging to the gut especially the single cell line uh, lining of the gut which is very delicate Mm-hmm. And these breakdown products are more toxic, they start to damage the gut wall. Mm-hmm. You may not feel it immediately on that day, but it, we know that the bacteria, the microbes, start to respond almost immediately within at least 24 hours, those changes are happening. But you start to feel it down the road. And essentially, one of the things that happens with those unhealthy foods is the lining of the gut gets damaged. Things like leaky gut start to happen. Inflammation in the gut starts to get set up. And the inflammation in the gut leads to inflammation in the brain because we know that they're connected. And therefore, you see an uptick of mental health symptoms or new diagnoses of mental health symptoms when someone has made, you know, um, some sort of a less healthy dietary changes. Mm. And uh, that, that's a simple, just a a sort of simple way to explain how it it is connected uh, back to the brain.
0: Yeah, no, that's helpful. And you mentioned inflammation and you talk about that in the book pretty much in every chapter. So is that really at the root? Is this the root that what we're doing is creating more inflammation, which is triggering this?
1: That is correct. The, The, in fact, research has now shown us that inflammation is so much the basis of conditions like depression, anxiety, Cognitive, cognitive disorders and more in the sense that that inflammation gets set up in the gut. Um, you know, the uh, people may experience different symptoms, but it's being shown to be a powerful driver of those conditions. So, you know, I say to people, what, what are the things that you can do to reduce inflammation? You know, certainly you could work on your stress and uh, use, use that uh, as one element, but it's one of many things. The other huge component is food because uh, many of the foods we eat in st- on the standard American diet are really pro-inflammatory.
0: Absolutely. And I, I'd like to ask you some questions about that, but before we get there, I just want to also just make sure I'm getting this. In terms of the microbiome, how is that connected to gut? Is it the same thing or is it a Part of it, just so we again the foundational understanding of what we're talking about, and then how does somebody maintain or even know whether their microbiomes in good
1: condition? Right. So, so with so in the the gut in in the digestive system that we learned about in high in biology. Yes. The um, what we've uncovered is that in the uh, mostly in the large intestine or the colon you have these microbes that reside there. They actually Mm -hmm. live there, they participate in good things that we need our body to do. Mm -hmm. Vitamin production, sleep and circadian rhythm, that's our body's internal body clock. Um, uh, 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 Immunity, you know, um, hormones, uh, mental health, so much more. So so they're there to perform a function, they're there to work in concert with us but remember there's also the bad microbes that live there yes and they live in harmony with us but we also almost have to take care of them for them to function eating impacts that stress impacts that so when we're eating a healthier diet like foods that are rich in fiber vegetables berries beans nuts lentils legumes seeds um whole grains those Fiber-rich foods feed the microbes, so the microbes thrive. They can, you know, continue with their vitamin production and do everything else that they're doing. Yes, but you know, it's it's a it it is a connection between what we're eating and what and how they react. So they reside in the in the um, uh, gut. They help with all of these functions, and unfortunately, if our diet goes awry and we are eating highly refined. Highly refined sugars, processed, ultra-processed foods, tons of added sugar, artificial sweeteners, and you know the long list in the yeah. book. And Dunkin' uh, Donut coffees. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts coffee, but you know the coffee, the caffeine, on it's always is fine for most people. Uh, it's not <laughs> unhealthy. It's usually what we put into it. Uh, they, um, you know, that that's when we start down this pathway of setting up for inflammation in in the gut.
0: Okay. And what's the connection? So obviously our bodies need vitamins and minerals. Is it, is it that it then starts creating deficiencies? And so is that a part of it or no?
1: So deficiencies are usually because you, you know, uh, you may, may not be say someone who's assuming a whole foods plant-based diet that, uh, you know, some, some people refer to that as being vegan. Some people don't, but essentially they're not consuming any animal products. Um, they can become deficient in vitamin B twelve, okay. so it's more that the microbes are involved in breakdown. Of, they interact with the antioxidants and the plant polyphenols from vegetables that we okay. eat. Yeah, so things like cauliflower, Brussels sprouts have a very important antioxidant called sulforaphane. They help with the breakdown of that and you know, they, they kind of get involved and go to work so that we have the positive benefits of these foods that we're ingesting. Um, but, you know, when when they have the food that they're fed, uh, uh, you know, fast food and junk food and processed food, then, you know, they, they're not nurtured, they, they're not fortified. But the bad microbes are, because that's what they eat. And that's when they start to create more toxicity and toxic breakdown products of food.
0: Yeah. And when a patient comes, sees you, are you running blood tests or are you,
1: I'm just curious. That's to, right. So you, ask, yeah. you, you you were asking about how does someone know? Most often a person will describe gastrointestinal discomfort, bloating, gas, um, diarrhea, you know, so that's separate to mental health symptoms. Yes. But, you know, discomfort in their gut or digestive problems, or they'll describe brain fog every afternoon having a slump after they have lunch, um, you know, having problems with sleep. It'll, it could manifest in many different ways. Yes. There are certainly tests. Many of these are not things you can easily order in hospitals because they're not yet covered by insurance. Yes. But there are certain companies that offer microbiome testing. Often I will rely on uh, a food, um, 24-hour food recall with the patient, have them answer My questions about what they eat, their their lifestyle pattern. Um, Because remember, someone's not sleeping well on a certain day. It doesn't start that day. It starts weeks or months before that something has evolved or changed in their diet or their lifestyle or their sleep hygiene. Um, and then, you know, as needed, we do the appropriate testing, or We check vitamin levels or whatever it is. It's always clinically driven. What I found, Michelle, is that more and more in my clinic, it's very highly personalized. So yes. it's very much personalized medicine because the gut is like a pumpkin. So yes. the tests you need are going to be different from what someone else needs.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, let's turn to, you know, in your book, like I said, it's so great that you can go through the various, you know, mental health conditions and say, okay, anxiety, I'm dealing with that. Let me just go to this chapter, sure. with anxiety being at an all-time high, can you share mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. to three foods that are main culprits that are dr- ratcheting up that anxiety and maybe a couple, or two or three that are going to help alleviate some of that anxiety?
1: Right. So we've, we've covered some of these, but you know, uh, one, one that many people don't realize are artificial sweetness. They might be trying to cut back on their sugar mm. and they go to food products that are sugar-free or, or low sugar. And these are often then sweetened with artificial sweeteners. So things like Mm -hmm. aspartame, saccharin, sucralose, and even in some studies stevia um, actually worsen anxiety. So you've got to be careful about that. Uh, Diet sodas, things like that can be very problematic to a person Mm -hmm. who's struggling with that heightened anxiety. We mentioned components of the Western diet or the standard American diet. Another, uh, a third category is Caffeine is a healthy substance, but it may, For studies have shown that in individuals, uh, usually 400 milligrams or less is okay. Yes. So what I say to people is to pay attention to what I call one of the pillars of nutritional psychiatry, which is paying attention to body intelligence. If you drink a cup of coffee and you feel jittery, your heart is racing, that's not for you, <laughs> you know, that's switch me. to green tea, <laughs> right, switch, or, or uh, decaf tea, and. Um, something that is more, uh, or matcha, you know, something that is more soothing for you. But others who can tolerate you can have a couple of cups, have it early in the day and move on. Um, And that's because caffeine is actually not a uniformly bad uh, uh, ingredient. In fact, it has antioxidants in it. So it's often, again, what we add to that coffee. And then things that you can really uh, amp up to help yourself are actually fiber-rich foods are your friend when it comes to anxiety. So uh, fiber-rich foods, those veggies, the berries, the, the beans, lentils, um, you know, nuts, seeds, uh, healthy whole grains, uh, all of those break down much more slowly in your body because they're more complex and they keep your blood sugar on an even keel. They help to balance off that sort of the highs and lows people feel within, with anxiety. Another category is uh, tryptophan rich foods um, which get converted again those microbes get involved and they help break down the tryptophan from foods and that can be helpful. Um, another one is the spiced turmeric with a pinch of black pepper um, added to soup, a smoothie, or a tea or added to roasted vegetables. The black pepper um, activates the curcumin in turmeric and makes it 20 uh, times or 2,000% more bio available to the brain and body. Easy to do. Um, and then tea, you know, things, uh, herbs and herbs like lavender, but, you know, these can also be made into a tea, chamomile, passion flower. Um, all of those can be super helpful uh, in helping to calm people down. So so those are just, just a few. They're longer lists in the book. Uh,
0: right? Absolutely. And that's the thing. I think because the book is so comprehensive, and you also have so many great recipes, which I thought was such a lovely bonus. I was like, oh, these are great, because now you can go and just try some of these. I think sometimes people are curious, like, what does your day of eating look like, with all the knowledge you have? What what do you have, for example, give us a, a day in the life of Dr. Naidu. What do you eat? <laughs>
1: on, a, on a good day, because I also on have a good day. when I fall up, you know. And good, I, that I, makes I, us feel human. That, good. Exactly. And I you Yes. Forget all the stuff that I usually <laughs> have in place. But one of the things I do, do, uh, uh, Michelle, is I do a lot of food prep. I make sure that on a certain day when i either purchasing my vegetables or proteins or whatever I'm buying, that I have those prepped. And, you know, I have um, now found these great um, uh, cloth uh bags to store veggies mm. so you can purchase them and they actually the, one of the things when you're storing veggies is that they get uh, they get moist you know, the moisture is what damages them, right? And they, they're yes. fragile. So that, that has helped. So I do a lot of chopping of the vegetables, preparing them so that I can easily put together a really hearty salad on any given day. Mm. So it's leafy greens, the chopped vegetables. Um, I will eat, you know, times that I don't have time, I'll buy some hummus. Uh, but if I have time and I try to always make a little bit so there's a healthy, uh, something healthy to dip my uh, veggies in, Um, I usually always prep uh, vinaigrette salad dressing. So I have that on hand. And I like to make, um, depending on my mood or what week it is, I might make cheer puddings for breakfast, and those can be done way ahead. And they, small small portions, but super filling because they're rich in both fiber and protein, mm. as well as tons of other nutrients. So that's an easy one. For people who do consume eggs, I like the mini frittata recipe from chapter 11 in my book, because you can you can use a cupcake pan, bake them and freeze most of them that you're not, not eating. So, you know, things like that, or if it's a larger family, um, you know, they can do steel cut overnight oats, and then just top it with uh, berries, nuts in the morning. All these are sort of healthy brain foods, um, and you know with um, so so I, I try to do as much of that as I can. Yes. And what I do in the evening is I, I leave that as my uh, you know sort of my chef's table, my little my little experience of fun for the day. So I have a few things prepped, but I don't plan that. So I might feel like a cauliflower steak, but I'll change it up by using. Tendery spices that I blend, you know, because if they those have brain benefits, i'll have that with uh, leafy green salad and, and kind of mix it up that way.
0: I love it, well, thank you for sharing because I think people do get curious. I mean, a huge takeaway that I discerned from your book was how the Western diet is just pretty much bad <laughs> across the board, and the Mediterranean <laughs> diet is definitely a great way to do it. I'm just curious I mean do you know other cultures other cultures I think you know include like probiotics and different foods that are just a part of the natural diet. Do you, do you think that that's part of the issue that we're having in the United States is that our diet is really, you know, fast food and supersized and.
1: Right. I, I think that, um, it started with the industrialization of food and then the development of convenience foods, the, the low fat movement, the, um, Sugar free movement, you know, all of that has, has actually unfortunately caused a lot of problems. And mm. when food became convenient in either fast food forms or processed frozen foods, you know, frozen veggies and frozen berries are actually fine because they flash frozen in the United States. Yeah. And they're frozen at their peak. That's very different from a frozen dinner or frozen pizza, which yes. has a lot of preservatives, colorants, dyes, food stabilizers. So but it's been sort of going. Arrive for a while, and it's now caught up with us because that's sort of how most most people are living. Yes. And what I'd like us to take away from that is, you know, you blame ourselves, but let's think how can how can we rework this? You know, it's been a difficult few years. If if over this time you've, you know, started buying cookies of every type every week, or, <laughs> or you know, ice cream every night, or whatever, a glass of wine, whatever it is, you know, instead of an occasional dinner a few times a week, every single night, a few glasses of wine Yes, that, you know, uh, and you, and you're leaning on that to help you sleep. Then, you know, it's time to just walk ourselves back from that and see how we can rework this. What can we do? What are some simple things? Ask yourself what's bothering you about how you're eating and see if you can start there and change just one habit. And I feel that we've fallen into this, um, you know, and it's it's for us to find our way back because the food industry is not going to change. No. Labeling laws are not going to change. Um, food companies are not going to suddenly reveal uh, information that you know they leave leave to us to, as a consumer to interpret. Yes. Um, and it's up to us to learn and and, uh, and be advocates for our own health and realize that food is medicine it's just it's choosing the right right foods
0: beautiful food is medicine and you came from a culture i mean you talked about cooking with your grandparents i come from a culture where my nana was always making stuff my mom if you walked in she'd have a spread of healthy food in front of you with maybe some nice little dessert on the side but we learned about that in very much in moderation and i think this is an invitation to, like you said, be more mindful. What are the habits mm-hmm. you're incorporating? What can you learn? The food prep that you talked about. I think all of that stuff is important. And then also, you know, going through your book and just looking if you have a specific issue.
1: What's, Look at that chapter, start yes, there. Yes, start there, start what's there. nourishing. And, yes. you know, you mentioned Michelle, the Mediterranean diet, and a lot of the research has pointed to that. But what I would say about it is, and sometimes people, you know, roll their eyes. I mean, they say, oh, everyone says a Mediterranean diet. So I sort of describe it this way. We've understood that plant-based foods are super important for our health, for our physical health, but also our mental health. Yes. So no matter whether you eat poultry, seafood, beef, whatever it is, it's completely fine. The source is important. The source uh, of your, your food is important. Yes. But irrespective, add in those veggies because they're low-calorie, they're rich in antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, which interact with those gut microbes, which help the brain. And add them in, you know, make sure you're having a leafy green salad because greens have folate, and low folate is associated with depression. So build on those leafy greens, build on those veggies, and add everything else in it that you like. Um, I think that that's the takeaway because we look at the Mind Diet, the Mediterranean Diet, a lot of those they really um, are heavily heavily plant-based. And so adding that in, uh, the fiber is so critical. Uh, The beans, legumes, olives, nuts, you know, the type of oil, the type of fat becomes important.
0: Yes. And I think we all have experience with eating something that does make us not feel ourselves, you know, sometimes even angry or sad, like we can feel it after we've eaten it. Or headache. Headache, right. And so paying attention to all of that. Um, since we're at the close, I just wanted to ask in the dedication you write that your mom gave you the most important piece of advice in your life. I didn't find it in the book. So now I'm curious <laughs> if it's not too personal, it's would a, you share what she, she a, shared it, with you?
1: It, it is personal, but it's also kind of, uh, it, it, it's, It's I find it, I just I kind of laugh at it or chuckle at it. It's not funny per se, but so it turns out that, you know, I married a physician and my mom uh, was a professor uh, at, the medical school and um she comes home one day and she says you know there's this really great young man in my tutorial group uh when she taught seniors i was still a junior at that time and i think you know he's a really nice young man and you should meet him and she kind of alerted me to to this person and you know it uh, it's a long story in between but it's it was really funny because she met my husband uh before I did and we actually did end up getting married and and and, you know she she said it in a very smart way because she knew that if she said I think you should do such and such a thing I would have balked you know she knew me well enough but the way that she framed it was you know in this way so it was actually the best piece of advice that that I did get (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> what a delight being with you today. Thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge with my audience. Uh, if people want to follow you online, find your book, Where where's the best place to direct them?
1: Thanks, Michelle. It was lovely talking to you. So you can go to my website, umanaidumd.com. I also have launched a course if you want to deep uh, take a deeper dive into this with me. Um, and follow me on social media. We'll be putting out rec- the recent research and updates all the time. That's at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And please subscribe to my newsletter. When you go to my website, you can subscribe. You'll get some, uh, some interesting information that we'll share with you. And then you get weekly updates about not only what I'm up to, but what I'm up to in the world of nutritional psychiatry, updates that you need to know. So if you like this topic, I think you'll find that newsletter fun.
0: I did sign up actually. I'm very fascinated. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world and pioneering the space. And hopefully it'll be more just the norm in a decade. I don't know. I'm optimistic. Maybe. I don't know.
1: Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. I appreciate the support. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you, to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into,